Welcome to The Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, host of this podcast and a former Cavan goalkeeper now working as a performance and wellbeing coach with sports and business leaders around the world. For the 20th and final episode of the Player's Voice series this year, it was a real pleasure to sit down with Limerick's Barry Hennessy. The multiple All-Ireland winner opens up about his experience of an eating disorder, the mental health challenges that brought, and rebuilding his relationship with both himself and food. Barry also reflects on Limerick's recent dominance of the All-Ireland Hurling Championship, provides fascinating insights into his relationship with fellow Limerick goalkeeper Nicky Quaid, and discusses the importance of humility both on and off the field. If you are a GPA member and impacted by this conversation, please call the GPA's 24-7 helpline on 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808 from the Republic of Ireland. From Northern Ireland, call 0800-044-5059 or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a member of the Gaelic Players Association and have been impacted by this conversation, please check out bodywise.ie for more information on eating disorders, body image issues and support services. This podcast series is brought to you as part of Bio360, a GPA programme that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bio360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. But for now, please sit back, relax and enjoy the player's voice with Barry Hennessy. Barry Hennessy, thanks so much for joining us on the Players Voice podcast. It's a real pleasure. I've been a long time wanting to get a goalkeeper on and boost out the goalkeepers' union. So um, I suppose I'll start off in terms of life on the field with you, Barry, and just I'll ask you, what's it like to have been part of a golden generation of Limerick hurlers that have won four of the last five All-Irelands? Hi, you've set me up there now with a lot of pressure already uh, in terms of uh, the goalkeeping side of it. Uh, you could have got probably a better person then, but sure, look... Um, uh, look, it, it's been great. It's you know, you you always would have thought when you were younger, John, you were you know in your backyard and playing, and you were playing in Crow Park, and you know um, you were winning all Ireland's. And I suppose growing up through the nineties, you would have seen it. And my dad was involved in ninety four. He was um, sub goalkeeper to Joe Quaid, so it's amazing how the wheel kind of came full circle with myself and Nicky as well. But um, so you would have seen Limerick getting all Ireland's, and you know you would have that's obviously what you dreamt about, and to joined the panel in 2010 uh, during the, the strike I suppose you probably didn't think it was ever going to happen um, and probably had a couple of barren years there in 14 to 15 after winning the Munster and then I suppose John came in in 17 and there was a lot of work went into it and 18 got on a roll and we're, we're you know where we are where we are now but um, you know like the foundation was probably laid a long time before uh, this group got there you know by, by past players and past management teams and panels you know so we're we're obviously very privileged to be in the position we are, but you know we're very cognizant too of the fact that you know a lot of super people went before us, you know, and put us in the position to get to where we are. So, yeah, and I know, like, just as I'm listening to you there, like we had Dan Morris on a couple of weeks ago as well, and kind of I had said to him like I feel like people are kind of very there's almost a presumption now that like all is rosy in Limerick and always has been that you guys have just like blitzed your way through and have known nothing but success but I suppose your rise to the top like Limerick's in some ways wasn't straightforward either like you mentioned being called up in, in 2010 
during the strike there. So I can only imagine what that was like first and foremost in terms of the the kind of hustle and bustle around the team at that time. Um, and then you you kind of drop off the panel again. Is it two years after that to come back in yeah. in 2014, Barry, is it? It's for the 11, kind of brought back in the 11 for the, the start of the, the league, I suppose, and was let go then 12, kind of came back in in 13 again for the kind of the league um, and let go then again just before the start of the championship so I missed out on the Munster medal there but I was back in then from 14. Uh, TJ, TJ brought me back in and he handed me my debut in 2015 so you know, I'm forever grateful to that. So been around the while, I suppose. Yeah, so like even just jumping back to that period, Barry, where like, you know, you're kind of almost you're fighting for a place both on squad, on the panel, trying to get into a team and experiencing different strands of that success. Like in your mind as a person and as a human, as a player, what's kind of sustaining your motivation through a period where ultimately there is some setbacks and some failure or some rejection or whatever words you want to use? What's sustaining you to keep going during that period? I suppose... It was always hurling was in our family all always and like since I was you know, you go stand, you would hurl in your hand and you know, I would have had my dad obviously played for Limerick, I had um uncles that played for Limerick, grand uncles that played for Limerick, you know. Uh, so it was kind of you, you were involved in a family that was really steeped in it. Um and would have played in I suppose fifteen, sixteens, you know, a couple of years mine or a couple of years twenty one. Um so you would have played up along, you know, and I think you nearly got identified as a county hurler, you know. Um, so I suppose that it was nearly a thing of trying to prove yourself then after that as well like you know that um, you were obviously let go off the panel and you know, you, you kind of only identified yourself as a, an inter-county hurler from being involved in squads all the way up along you know and that was the, the end goal and you were going to do anything to get there like you know so um, I suppose relationships might have suffered with people you know, work relationships might have suffered jobs may have suffered you know because I probably had that that singular mindset and just that focus of that's what I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be an inter-county hurler, um, which is probably, in hindsight now, looking back, it's probably the wrong, wrong way to, to view it, you know. Um, but, you know, that's, that's just what I suppose drove me to, to keep going, you know, and just to get back in there. And look, I was under no illusions too, like there were some fantastic um, that goalkeepers that went before me between like, Timmy Hoolan, Jeff Wolf and Brian Murray, you know, Aaron Murphy. Um, if I'm leaving anyone out now, I'm trying to think, but so there was always great crop of goalkeepers in Limerick anyway so you knew that you know you were nearly going against the best in, in the business and that if you did get there then as well like you know like you were in a fairly elite class like in a fairly elite club so um, so that brought I suppose the motivation as well that side of it as well so Yeah and I'll definitely kind of come to the kind of the goalkeeping aspect of it in a little bit in terms of just kind of having that one spot that you're pitching for and trying to get whereas you know defenders can slot in across six spots or move as a half forward and come back and I will I will come to that but in terms of just coming back to like childhood and stuff there like have you got memories of like going watching your dad play and seeing him play either for the club or with Limerick and kind of having that kind of role model or someone to look up to and kind of wanting that for yourself? Oh yeah I can remember being around um, even Limerick training in, in 94 like you know being around Joel when they were training inside there and you know, having dinner with some of them after and you know, handing the hurley around the table to get it signed like you know all the the things little little kids did like you know and still do um so yeah look you didn't have to look too far at home to have have role models like and obviously he'd my dad had played for in goals for Kilmarnock for geez i think he gave 20 years at service like you know so um and i, I took over from him then you know which was really great, like yeah so and his cousin was in goal before him and we had a grand uncle in goal you know uh, during the 60s and the 70s so there's been kind of someone 
in around the Hanley, Hennessy, O'Mahony kind of, you know, um, in around the goals in Kilmarnock for, for that long. And sure, like I'm there since 2007. Do you know, so I'm there a while now at this stage as well. Yeah, so I'm yeah. kind of hoping to get 20 year service for the club as well. And, you know, it'd be, it'd be a nice thing to have as well. So That's such a unique, it's such a unique thing. to. So I presume then you say you took over from him. So uh, the couple of years before that, are you kind of backing up being like the subkeeper to your dad? And then... Does he hang around to be back up to you, or is he like, "Hey, listen, my time's done. I'm out of here now." How does that work? I would have. Um, they got the county final in twenty thousand five. They got the county final, and last Gary's plan, I suppose I came on the panel the following year, um, and there would have been a subkeeper there anyway. But so I would have kind of been just biting at the heels there because I would have been a little minor at the time. So it was kind of a that transition was going to be there. But uh, the first year, I kind of got a proper crack at it. He kind of knew himself that it was time to. Time to step back here because, as I said, uh, the car ride home, for, even though it was a short one from the, the pitching commander, would have been fairly quiet and fairly tense, I'd say. So. Yeah, it's such, a, uh, such an interesting and unique kind of experience to have. Um, the So when you come through then, Barry, say you make, you said your debut in, in 20, your Munster Championship debut in 2015, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's clear. What was what's that like for you after the kind of the years of kind of the ups and downs, trying to basically having to try and earn it and like fight through um some setbacks and adversity. So I suppose what's it like to a get to do that for yourself and then b do you get to share that with like with your dad and have that experience as well? Yeah, look, I suppose it was. Um, I suppose it was reward for efforts, or you perceive it to be a reward for all your efforts, you know. And like it was a massive, massive honor, Alan. Like you know, like. I, I didn't mention Nicky purposely when I was going through the list of goalkeepers there because like he is probably one of the most under I won't say underrated because people know how good he is, but he's probably undervalued um by a lot of people. Very similar to I suppose to Stephen Cluxton. Um, you know, like he's he's transformed goalkeeping, I think, in Ireland, similar to what Dolan Log did, um, just by everything that he does. Um so I knew that it would either take Nicky to have an absolutely desperate run of form or for something unfortunate to happen to him, which it did. He obviously broke his collarbone. Um, so I got I got an opportunity. Myself and Aaron Murphy were there at the time, kind of fighting for that number two spot. And I suppose after the back of a good kind of um, couple of years at the club and I think we won three counties in 10, 12 and 14 and got to another in club final. Um, I probably had a good run of club form coming into it. And just pipped down to to get the opportunity to to take the spot. So um, look, it was an amazing feeling. Um, I'll never forget it. Uh, like you just want to, you obviously want to represent yourself and represent your county um, and represent the people of Limerick as well, and obviously the people of Kilmarnock as well. Um, so it was a look. It was a massive honour. Uh, the jersey hanging up my wall, you know, and it'll forever stay there, and I'll be forever grateful to TJ for for the opportunity. Um, and then it was obviously nice to you know, to share with the family because like it's it's your stereotypical GA family across Ireland you know where your family would have driven you to every corner of Limerick for trials or training you know wash the gear got the hurlies you know there was never an issue with um, oh I wanted the Adidas Predators because I was a bit of a princess you know and it had to be the best of the best you know there was never a problem it was always provided um, so look it, it, I'd like to think it was probably a reward for them as well because um, I know obviously they're the, well, I think they're proud of me anyway so I hope they're proud of me so yeah No and I'm sure they are and like you suppose you mentioned Nicky there Barry and like kind of how transformative of a figure he's been for the game of Hurling um, 
like his performances both like on the biggest stages for Limerick over the last couple of years. Um, I think like I mentioned golden generation earlier, I feel like he would be renowned as kind of one of the jewels in the crown as well of kind of what the team has been able to do and what has been doing. Can you talk to us a little bit of kind about your relationship as a pair then? Um, I suppose the like the relationship as goalkeepers is very unique and that only one can start. Um and obviously as a goalkeeper myself, I've had all different variations of relationships of where we were competing and actually didn't like each other, where it was another relationship where it was really good and healthy and supportive. Just that whole kind of, that spectrum of them when there's egos in and there's competition for places, all that stuff. So could you maybe take us a little bit inside the relationship that you guys have? Because while Nicky's kind of been number one consistently, you've been number two quite consistently throughout that period. So I'm guessing there's quite a unique relationship there between you guys. Yeah, definitely. Like it's, I suppose we've probably similar personalities that, um, we're both, I suppose, we're both mad in one sense, but we're both relaxed in other ways, you know. Um, like, we get on extremely well together. We've probably spent more time together than we have with our families over the years, um, you know. So, and we've been quite supportive of each other, both on and off the field. Like, so I'd like to think that he's probably one of my closest friends. I'd consider him to be, like, you know. And, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're on the phone to each other morning, noon, and night. Like, we mightn't have a contact with each other outside of training for maybe a couple of weeks you know but you know that he's there to support you and likewise I'm there to support him um, and it was just interesting one of the words you used Alan was like ego like you're you're involved in a team sport um, it's unfortunate that you, like you're, there's only one spot there but like you, you have to park your ego at the door um, there's no room for ego in it you know because if, the, if, if that's if you're letting your ego dictate and you have an agenda you know that, that's poison in a group like um, and you can't have that, like you know. So, like my job is there. It's very similar to the NFL, being a, a backup quarterback. Nearly, you know, your job is to make sure that the, the starting quarterback and or the starting goalkeeper, Nicky, that he's prepared, he's comfortable. Um, and I suppose when he's playing well um, and training well, it, it's a good reflection on me then as well. And Dave McCarthy and Jason Glenn over the last couple of years as well. You know that when when he's playing well, it's a testament to how, how we're performing, how well um, we're doing in training as well. So. Look, we push each other extremely hard. We're probably on the pitch an hour before the lads. Um, we were on the pitch sometimes after the lads, you know. Uh, we were training separately. I was nearly doing extra sessions on my own outside of the extra sessions we were doing outside of the squad to, just to try and put a bit more pressure on him. Um, you know, but we, we both very well off each other. Like, you know, we, we both have kids. We're both, we're both dads now. Like, you know, it's amazing how the, the wheel is still turning. It's going full circle uh, in that aspect too, off the field. Like, so, look, he's... He's, um, I, I think he's he's one, one if not the best in the game, you know, and yeah. like people would say to you, look, it's unfortunate for you that you're, you're there and he's there, but it's not really like because I've got an opportunity to work with Nicky for, for 10 years to watch him play, um, you know, to train with him, see at the level that he, he performs that week in, week out, like in the preparation and detail he goes into, like, you know, and there's there's a reason why he's performed that well, like, you know, his, his, his detail and attention to detail is, is top class, like, so... Yeah, like obviously, I'm I'm sure if I had him here and asked him similar questions, I'm sure he'd be complimentary to you in terms of that relationship and that dynamic. And I know I did look, I did mention ego because like it's just, it's just whether we like it or not, it's associated with sport and different individuals, and it's there. Um, and kind of the answer you gave back was almost like a textbook of what you would want from a teammate of a like or like of a friend or from whatever, like particularly a teammate. And I know, say 
when you were younger, was it more difficult when you were younger to try and kind of navigate or manage that, Barry? I feel like you're speaking now and from a very comfortable place in your life and like relationship that you have both with Nikki and others. But was it was it more difficult earlier in your career? Yeah, I suppose. Look, you you would have looked at I would have played in goals all the way up along, and Nikki would have been out the field, like you know, and you thought that that was a natural succession, like that. You know, that's the way it was going to continue. Um, and obviously, that that didn't happen for me. And Nikki went back into goals, and you know, credit to him, he held his spot because it mightn't necessarily be overly flashy, but you know, it's super consistent, like, um, and like trying to get back in and. I suppose you were just looking at trying to get your foot in the door first and who's the person ahead of you and try to just be better than that person. Um, but I suppose in a sense too well, that, that that's wrong nearly as well because like, instead of focusing on yourself, you're more worried about others. Like, and, you know, there, there could be evenings you come home from training and someone might have had a better game than you had or you know, had an opportunity to make a wonder save that you didn't have the opportunity for and you're beating yourself up and it's absolutely nothing to do with you or nothing you can control. Like, you know, but you know, you've, you've that feeling that you didn't perform and he's after getting the edge and you like you know instead of just looking internally and just looking at yourself and just trying to be as consistent as possible like Nicky was like you know and like coming back into the panel in 14 even like you would have had people at home and I can my family members would have been guilty saying she's I hope Nicky drops the ball into the net now or John Nicky gets injured or whatever like and you're just kind of there saying to yourself like you you can't let that creep in like you know like it might it might have creeped in a little bit at the start that we were just mad for a jersey um, but then, like, if that happens, the team suffers. Like, and if the team suffers, you know, like, that could have been what was maybe a problem in Limerick before, where um, just lads were happy enough with their just to mind their own patch, like, in, instead of the collective, like, you know, so. Yeah. Whereas now it's it's collective, like, there's no one bigger than the team, like, and that's that's it, full stop, like, you know, the team is the team, and you're either part of it or not, like, you know, so. No, actually, you kind of what I hear there is that that kind of shift of thinking about me to like to we ultimately of like and then like it's I suppose we'll often hear now like that people talk about the turnover of players in different counties around the country, both in hurling football and that kind of someone pops in for a year or two and pops back out again, or maybe someone comes in on the edge of a panel doesn't make doesn't get game time and fades away. And I suppose talking to you as someone who's benefited like from being part of such an incredible group like what has the last couple kind of couple of years taught you about maybe yourself and as, like as but as a person or as a player Barry in terms of just like kind of who you are and kind of the, the lessons that you've taken from being part of sport I suppose um, like you learn so much especially as you progress in your career Ellen I said like you learn so much how the skills are transferable over and back, you know, like in terms of say leadership qualities, in terms of you know, hard work, like that like people always throw about hard work and you have to work hard and this and that, like and genuinely like it is it is hard work, like you know, hard work has has basically been the foundation of our success over the years. Like there's no secret training, there's no special like Paul probably won't like to hear that, but um but it has been hard work, like, you know, um and like you know that if you take that from your I suppose your playing life into your personal life and your your career, like that you're going to do extremely well. And like if you look through the Limerick team like like then an accountant's John very high level, you know, he's he's at a high level in his career, Graham's at a very high level in his career. Um like William owns his own business, Seamus owns his own business and is a radiographer as well. I'd say a radiographer on the side as opposed to the business being on the side. But, um, you know, so like Aaron has his own business. So like, lads have transferred what they've learned on the pitch and been part of that group. 
um, into their into their personal lives as well, you know, and they're they're going to be successful off the field as well. And but it just comes back to I suppose just rolling up the sleeves and it's hard work, you know, and like we wouldn't be where we are without those long evenings in Reckill at the start of the year and just putting in the graft like um, and pushing each other as well, you know, it's it's very important that um like obviously we've um, we've a core group of values within the group, like that we try to live our life what on the pitch and off the pitch by, you know, and like it's, it just transfers into other like, interpersonal life then as well, like that you like for a person with values and morals, you're you're going to go far. So like of of those values, Barry, that like a group may talk about or share, is there anyone in particular that kind of drives you as a person in terms of just your own career? I'm talking outside of the game here. I'm not talking as a team playing on a Sunday or whatever. But is there a value that's kind of close to you that really you use on a day to day or to drive you forward? I won't go too much into what they are now because I'll get I'll get absolutely lynched. But um, I suppose look, I, I I can share one, and it's something that I'm I'm very aware of and very cognizant of on a daily basis. And it's humility. Um, Humility is massive for me. Um, I never kind of wanted, especially after 2018. Look, and like, I think the video of John on the bus mid the rounds, you know, of how he just explained how this was going to change our lives, that we were the team to finally reach the gap. Like, um, and I suppose you probably would have seen in other sports and even in the GA circles, uh, both in hurling and football, that maybe some lads maybe lost the run of themselves, you know. Um, and I, I suppose I never wanted to be known as that that arrogant person or that cocky person or that person the last run of themselves because they won they won a medal, you know. Um there's there's so much more to life than than that as well. Like, you know, so obviously Hurland's a massive part of our lives, but you know, there's there's more to that too and just we like to think that we're 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 decent humans, you know, and decent people outside of us. So No, totally and like I think like you mentioned humility there, Barry, and like often we're humility can come from is from perspective or seeing the bigger picture in life or having different experiences both within sport or outside of sport that helps keep you grounded um i know like one of the things i want to talk to you today is that like everyone or most people listening to this will know you as a hurler as part of the limerick panel be part of that extraordinary team that we've just spent the first you know 20 minutes talking about or so but i suppose one of the other key pillars of the conversation today i wanted to talk to you about in terms of well-being um was eating disorders and it's something that you've spoken about before. Um, it's something that I haven't heard talked about a huge amount in particularly male sporting settings. And I suppose to start it for anyone that's maybe not familiar or that has any kind of eating disorders, what's that? I just kind of took a quick kind of definition down from BodyWise this morning, Barry, just the, for anyone that doesn't know, BodyWise are the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland. And they basically described eating disorders as complex psychological disorders that affect every aspect of a person's functioning, including your behaviours, your thoughts, physically and emotionally. So I kind of want to just set the tone or kind of set the scene a little bit for anyone that's listening that's not familiar. And then I kind of wanted to ask you kind of about how you became aware of this as a well-being challenge and kind of what way it presented itself in your life. Yeah, it was it was a strange thing, Alan. Um, I suppose I would have grown up, I suppose naturally heavy child, um, gone through primary school and even to secondary school, like you know where you were having nearly a chicken roll for your breakfast, like or a breakfast roll every morning for breakfast. And I suppose you get to your your puberty years, you get to to junior cert, and then obviously girls come on the scene, and you know, different things come on the scene, and you're an intercounty hurler, you're a minor, and you know all the cliches of the golf and the, the Volkswagen golf and the track suits and the the mullets, you know, so you're probably a little bit more aware of your appearance. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a, it was a strange thing really, because I suppose 
that as you said there like it's not really perceived something with in male sports like you know, there's probably a stigma around it in general anyway uh, both across both male and female um, and it's obviously something that's very hidden and not spoken about um, but it would have kind of started maybe towards my fifth year in school and sixth year in school you know you were just a little bit more conscious of what you're eating um, I was probably in with a shout um, my dad would have been involved with my 21s at that stage and he probably had a slip that I was being looked at um, and I would have been that would kind of not necessarily triggered something but you know my diet necessarily just started to clean up um, just cleaned up basically I was watching what I was eating I was probably restricting myself a little too much um, I can remember the vice principal Michal Martin in the school in Arts Greece at the time um, just saying to me Jesus you know, after losing a lot of weight like you know um, everything okay and it's like it was probably weight that I probably had to lose anyway you know but it just that was probably the start of the restriction side of things where I was very conscious of what I was eating um, and then my parents would have separated when I was in sixth year uh, in 2008 and I suppose look that that probably hit hit home um, fairly hard and I didn't I was I obviously didn't speak to anyone about it you know there was obviously a, there was a backstory to that as well um, my dad actually went missing for a couple of days um, found in Blanc Cork as well so there, look, there would have been that kind of a trigger as well with it and it probably would have been a, a, probably a, a mental health challenge as well from that as well and I remember going to college in LIT um, looking look forward to playing Fitzgibbon you know the, doing real estate of all things had no interest in real estate but uh, just got in there and uh, knew someone high up in LIT that said look we might be able to get you a transfer into another course if you if you stick with it and um, it was the year the Fitzgibbon rule came in and the freshers couldn't play so I was like, right, I'm out of here, not doing, not doing this. Um, and I can remember Eddie O'Sullivan was the, the GDA in LIT at the time, and he actually tried to get me um, to go see someone, just to speak to someone, because um, obviously he'd seen just, I suppose, a red flag in terms of me as a person, because Eddie would have known me from, you know, he would have been involved with Limerick teams underage, and he and I remember just fobbing him off and saying, no, I'm grand Eddie, don't worry about it, you know, yeah. and so all that. And I remember going like the, the college, um, College were ringing me and Eddie was ringing me trying to get me in to see someone to speak to someone and I'm just you know, avoiding their calls like the plague like um, and I wouldn't mind like then and things went actually the opposite way before even any sort of an eating disorder started I remember doing your I suppose your stereotypical college student thing or um, my my partner or girlfriend at the time um, it was Subway every evening it was cookies it was you know it was and I remember swelling to about 16 and a half stone like um, I remember going into Argus for the first time to buy maxi muscle protein, you know, thinking that this was brilliant, like, you know, and I was going to start taking mm. this and would have been conscious that I'd weight put on, um, but I was gymming and taking my, my protein and knew nothing about it at the time. And, you know, I was thinking I was just getting strong and just bulking up, like, but it was just me probably eating my feelings, really, um, instead of getting reaching out to someone and speaking to someone about it. It was just me probably emotionally eating. Um, and then, look, it just got to a point where there wasn't necessarily a trigger, but um, we'd won, we'd kind of been hurling. We 2010 went down to Tralee IT, um, would have started getting more into supplements. You know, I knew I was kind of a little bit heavy. Um, and then things kind of just, I don't know, was there a trigger that spiraled it, but it was probably just a culmination of everything that happened over those couple of years. And I can just remember weighing myself for the first time and like being so naive to nutrition and like how a litre of water is a kilo in your stomach like not understanding things like that and like even being so naive to think that um, if you your weight obviously fluctuates during the day like you know after eating as well it obviously sits in your stomach for a while until it's passed out 
Um, but I would have weighed myself in the morning and then weighed myself in the evening before I got him after gaining five pounds, you know. Um, and I suppose that's where the, the bout of bulimia started, really. Um, like I can remember, um, I can remember even my birthday going out for a Chinese at the time, my family, um, and running up to the toilet to get sick after the starter, you know, put my fingers back in my throat, come back up to the toilet to, to get sick, like, you know, um, same thing after the main course. I remember coming home, weighing myself that evening to make sure I hadn't put on, you know, um, I hadn't put on weight, basically, you know, or perceived weight or fat in my eyes, you know, so like that's, and that's where it kind of started and accelerated in from there, where it was a, it was a daily thing, like, you know, that it was, it was morning, it was lunchtime, it was evening time. Um, and it was just literally going down to the toilet, sticking your fingers back your throat and getting sick and just ending up on the way and scales and seeing where you're at, you know, and like that, me going from 16 and a half, 17 stone down to, I think it was 11, 11, one and broke into the tens at one stage, like, so it was quite a significant drop. Um, and like, I can remember two incidents probably that were eye-opening for me in one sense. It was, um, a friend of mine, we were playing Cork Blow in the old Parky Cueve in the most Championship in 2010. And I remember they texted me after and said, are, are you okay? Do you know, you look like you're sick. Um, it actually looks like you have cancer, so I'm actually very worried about you. And I said, no, no, I'm fine, do you know, don't worry about it, like, do you know. Um, and the second incident was actually coming home from Tree College, coming off from college in Tree one evening for Kamalok training. I just remember coming home and sitting outside the, the front door home and just bursting out crying, do you know, and just sitting there crying, like, and not knowing what was after happening. Um, and whether it was a mini breakdown or what, but um, like my life would have revolved just around protein checks, protein checks, you know, if I had a bit of food, it was literally down to the toilet, you know, throw it up, um, like even water in your system, like didn't take that into account, you know, those couple of pounds there, like it would have been going to the gym, killing yourself, you know, coming home, eating a small bit, if eating at all, or just taking another protein check, like there was times there where there was, you know, five or six protein checks a day, like, you know, it was crazy stuff really. Um, I remember Tony Constantine, and, and I'll never forget this. Like he, he nearly pulled me aside because I missed a couple of weeks training with Malok after that episode at home. Um, I was like front door crying in the car. It's probably, it was probably a mini breakdown in a sense, but Tony reached out like and just basically told me like, "Chuck, cop on, get direct together." Like just these protein checks. Like he'd actually spoke to my mother as well, and she'd filled him in that he's just having protein checks and he's strong, whatever. Um, and he said, "Look, you, you need to cop on now and mind yourself. Like you know, the protein checks need to go, kind of a thing." Um, so they did to a certain extent, Alan, like it, it, it probably, it probably didn't, um, it didn't stop what was going on. And I don't think people, people never knew what were, what was going on really, to be honest, like, you know, um, it was probably, as I said, triggered by my parents separating and um, probably led to a few mental health difficulties. And then, you know, it, it ended up in, into being what it was, like, you know, and there, like there was, there was one incident of self-harm, like, you know, cutting my arm there at one stage, like, you know, that was just complete, cry for help really like you know, but I wasn't willing to, to go get help like so um look it, it continued for a couple of years remember 2011 um 2012 even into 2013 it was on Limerick panel um Kieran sent to me in 2011 uh, we were doing a gym session inside Young Monsters he said uh, like is that the end of your weight last now do you know um and I said oh, no I'm John good Kieran like I'm strong whatever like so I was, no no you said you know that's the end of it now like you need to mind yourself now like you know um, so little things like that, you know, they do pop up in your in, in your head, like, um, and like I suppose I never I never got help with it, Alan. Um, like it probably continued on into 2011, 2012, um, and then probably would have started to to subside maybe 2014 when I got back into Limerick panel. You know, it wouldn't have been as intense as what it was from the, the kind of 2009 to. 
2011-2012 period. Um, but it would have, you know, there would have been a day there that you, know, you would have just thrown your fingers back your throat and just got sick, like, you know, um, after eating something, you know. Um, and like that then led to obviously unhealthy relationships with food. Um, like to this day, I still want to eat chocolate, want to eat potatoes, um, want to eat potatoes, want to you know, takeaways, things like that. Like, and I've started to soften a little bit in the takeaways. My my wife, uh, my good wife, was helping me with that. But um, but like <laughs> things like that, like you know, and I think I kind of because obviously people didn't know what was going on at the time, and I kind of got known as the fella that didn't eat. You know, that he was super healthy, didn't eat takeaways, didn't eat chocolate didn't eat ice cream or anything like that um, and didn't eat rubbish in general and you, know, you kind of got no one for that then and you kind of felt like oh, there's a persona you're going to have to keep up like you know um, and it just fitted in well with the, the inter-county player um, persona as well like you know so um, so look I hit it I hit it extremely well obviously people didn't know that it was going on um, but people very close to me and obviously even the, the Limerick lads at the time um, and it wasn't until I shared it in a, a group setting with Caroline um, we did a group workshop with her and I shared it with him, like, you know, and how, you know, how freeing I suppose it was to get it out there, first and foremost, but then, like, I suppose the reaction that lads gave you, like, you know, that like, lads had obviously said, like, Jesus, if we'd known, you know, if we'd reached out, you know, we would have been there for you, like, um, and I suppose that's what, look, that's why I'm speaking about it. Um, I spoke about it last year briefly, um, and look, I, what I'd said to people is, look, reach out if you're in any sort of difficulty, reach out, because I know, for a fact that if I'd spoken to someone early, would it have stopped it? Maybe, but it definitely wouldn't have lasted for as long as it did, you know, so. No, I think, like, I mean, just listening to there, Barry, first of all, like, goes out saying, like, thank you for sharing all that. Like, there's just a huge amount of, I suppose, information, but just also just your experience as a human, dealing with that um, and facing that issue as you're, I suppose as you're growing up as like a young man into a man and also trying to be an elite athlete and to work and to do all the other stuffs in life I'm like kind of even what, what I'm thinking there just as, as I'm kind of piecing together what you've just shared Barry is like I feel like people often associate like an eating disorder with like like one end of the scale or the other like you talk about like say if it's the bulimia and in terms of getting sick and kind of starving yourself almost or the other end of like excessive eating and like eating as escapism on that end but like from listening to you there and correct me if i'm wrong here by all means like there's kind of it's it's you were experiencing different ends of the spectrum or different ends of it um and i think while people are kind of honing on the food aspect of it is it more about kind of just that when you're feeling like a distress and when you're feeling adversity or turmoil, how that manifests itself like within you? Does that make sense? Yeah, it was only like an escapism, I suppose, like, you know, that yeah. like you were, something went wrong. Um, so something went wrong at home or something wrong at training, you'd go flog yourself in the gym or you'd go running mad in the road and then you wouldn't eat or you know, you'd come home and get sick, you know, it was like, um, it was nearly whatever emotion, whatever uh, situation happened, like my emotional response to it was, oh, I'm just it's going to escape here through, through exercise or through getting sick, you know, or like being self-conscious with body image or, you know, like that, how you're looking in the jersey or you know, how you're going to look on the television, like, you know, and not eating for maybe two or three days before a game that's going to be televised just because you want to, to look somewhere decent and in shape you know, on, on the television, like you know, and it's like some, some ludicrous things, but like look, it was it was it was an escapism, I suppose. Yeah. In, in aspects like so. 
No, and I I feel like listen, like when it comes to well being or, or mental health issues and challenges, like we'll all talk about escapism, and I think it's important to note, like you can have like positive escapism, but also like negative or I suppose destructive like coping mechanisms at times, and it sounds like your relationship with food became that kind of a destructive coping mechanism where like it gave you something maybe to focus on, but also like it must have also been very challenging. And was, was it frightening at times for you? Yeah, I suppose like you look at the, the enamel on your teeth, like and like how it's worn away by the acid, like, you know, and like things like that. And like, you know, and just like, just, I suppose the, when you think back the frequency of you getting sick, like, um, it was, it was crazy stuff, like absolutely crazy stuff. And even, I suppose that body dysphoria sort of it, like that you're looking in the mirror like and you're probably skeletal but you're still thinking Jesus there's time very heavy like you know and like even the years I wasn't involved with Limerick panels um, I can remember going on to you know supplement websites and ordering fat burners and like going watching television at 12 o'clock at night and you know, those uh, the telly shopping things yeah, that come on like, the infomercials or whatever yeah and buying into their their magic tablet like that's going to make you drop weight and you know you're going to look like the celebrities and the whole lot like like pure absolute like that could have been absolutely anything that you were putting in your system there that you didn't understand it but you bought into the marketing around it and I suppose you the vulnerability aspect of it like you know it played on your emotions um and like you bought it like so like the like things like that like, I, like anything that someone is going through in a similar circumstance like I've probably gone through it you know and you can speak to them about it like you know like like what you were doing there with supplements could have been detrimental to your head like you know yeah. what you're putting into your system like so it's crazy like how, how these things manifest like but you know it, like there's you will go to extreme lengths to hide it number one and then like if you are if you've bought into the body dysmorphia side of it like that you have weight to lose or you you know whatever you, you're going to buy into it like and go for it like so and like it's like it strikes me Barry as we're having this conversation of like how complex an issue it is as well in that like you know it's it's not like there's always like a clear trigger and then like A leads to B that there's like there could be a number of things in life like you've talked about stuff via the pressure or expectation of trying to like graduate through teams and get a place um, your parents separating like issues at home um, then you've got just your general challenges of life as you're growing up and then you have relationships and so the triggers can kind of come from all sorts of like different directions right um and then also this is then if impacting you and I, I go back to like the body wise piece of that like it's impacting like your actions like your thoughts but it also is genuinely impacting you physically and clearly emotionally as well and like when you look back and reflect on that period of time Barry like say emotionally and mentally like kind of how would you kind of summarize like what your mindset was back then and kind of what you were thinking and feeling during that time I suppose you were you were trying to hide number one anyway obviously what you were doing um, and then like you were talking about positive escapism there like hurling was mine you know and going training and just getting lost for those couple of hours and not having to to, to worry I suppose about what's coming after it or what we've done before it like you know um, I suppose look it's very similar if you anyone you speak to with an addiction whether it's what we're speaking about today gambling you know drink drugs whatever it is like they'll always and especially with, with players in any court like they'll speak about how their, their sport is their, their release like their escape for those couple of hours that they don't have to be themselves um, you know so like that's that's what hurling was for me um, and it just allowed me to, to get out of my own head for a while. Um, and from like the emotional aspect of it, like, you know, you're, 
I felt that what I was doing was going to get me to where I wanted to go, which was obviously to play for Limerick. Like, you know, I felt that um, I was if I was lighter, I was going to be faster, you know, I was going to get across the goals quicker. Like, I did I'd all this, you know, played out in my head and I convinced myself that I was doing like the Your right self-talk thing. is telling you that this is like a positive thing for yourself, yeah, that you're yeah. doing the right thing? Whereas I was probably internally destroying myself, like, you know, so... Um, and my performances would have probably suffered in that time, you know, I probably fell off the face of the earth in terms of being selected for for squads off the back of that, like, you know, and I just blamed everything else, you know, it was my hurlies, changed the length of my hurlies four or five times, you know, changed the moves, just giving out that I wasn't being selected, giving out that, you know, it was everyone else's fault basically but my own, like, you know, um, instead of looking internally, I was looking for something externally to blame, like, so... That obviously amplified it then as well, where I thought, right, I have to go, I have to do more here now, like, you know, where, um, where that probably wasn't the case, like, you know, so. And then, like, at what point of that, kind of, of that journey, Barry, do, do you, I suppose, at, so at the, sorry, let me start that again. Like, at the start, as this starts developing, like, you're not really aware of it. As you said, like, your self-talk is, like, actually reinforcing it to be like, hey, this is going to help you get or help us get to where we want to get to. When does it kind of start flag? I know, and you mentioned a couple of other people kind of flag start popping up or one or two people said stuff to you. When does it kind of start flagging with yourself? When do you start kind of recognising that, hey, the relationship between my thoughts, my feelings, and then ultimately my actions here, particularly with food, mightn't be healthy. When does that kind of click with you? And then I suppose I'll follow up with, like, where does that lead you to or how does that next stage begin? I probably had a second episode of coming home and just, like, bursting into tears in the car, like, and not knowing what was wrong, like, you know. Um, and I think that kind of was nearly the, the, the red flag for me personally to say, right, you know, things aren't right. Um, and, like, I didn't necessarily reach out either in that, you know, in that sense to, to anyone. Um, my my girlfriend at the time would have probably started to cop on to what was going on, and I obviously would have shared shared with her what was um, what was happening and what I was doing. Um, and I suppose that was kind of the start to help that, and slowly starting to talk to people about it. But you know, I still didn't tell many people about it. Like um, it was probably more a self uh, self correction. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I was kind of I was playing with my own head for years. Like, and um, did you feel probably, ashamed about it, Barry? Yeah, you would like, you know, because like, as I said, there's such a massive stigma with it, like, you know, and mm-hmm. you don't want to be labelled as that, 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 I'm not going to use the word freak and probably the wrong word to use, like, you know, but like, that's what you're probably saying, yourself, like, you don't want to be labelled as that person, like, you know, um, like, you'd never hear of your friends having an episode of, of just tears in the car like that, or you wouldn't ever hear of someone having an eating disorder or being, you know, suffering with bulimia or, you know, like that was probably self-diagnosed bulimia too. Like, you know, that was never officially diagnosed as bulimia, but you know, I had the the trace tendencies of it. Um, but it was kind of that. Kind of got to the stage where I knew, then kind of brought back into Limerick panel in twenty fourteen that I had to cop on. Like that, if I had aspirations to go somewhere, like you know, I had to have some sort of a positive relationship with food. Like, but and even at that island, like I, I got back onto a panel, refused to eat carbs um, of any sort for maybe five or six years, you know, I was fully adamant that they were going to make me heavy again, you know, instead okay. of having the rubbish side of food. And like, to this day, like what has happened previously has damaged probably my relationship with food where I find it very hard to let go, um, you know, and to, to have decisive pizza or to have, you know, um, anything really that's, that you think you shouldn't be having, you know, but um, like I remember the, the first time I had a burger and 10 or 12 years was with the Limerick lads in, in New York at the time we went over to, to City Fields like you know 
and just like even the relief of that of sitting around with um, a couple of the lads and the Kego or Richie English Barry Nash like having a burger with them and just feeling feeling normal nearly you know for once like that you're just able to enjoy this and not have to not have to worry about you know um, working this off or putting this into the toilet or whatever like you know that you were yes. one of the lads you were able to just keep back with the lads you know um, and even to having a few beers or whatever like, like I, I didn't drink really to maybe 2018 2019 and still probably the lads would say I still can't drink but you know um, I try <laughs> I try it's, it's, it's a working process um, but like even to have a couple of drinks with the lads there you know um, like that's that is you know, massive for me because with everything that went on in the past I probably would have isolated myself and secluded myself Alan from the from the group like you know I wouldn't have gone on nights out because John Barry was a fella that didn't drink and didn't eat rubbish or whatever like you know so I missed out. I would have missed out on a lot of the the team nights out, you know, and the the stories that the lads would have a train and like you know you're there kind of going, Jesus, and it's never part of that. Like and missed out on that. And look, that was my own decision at the time, but I'm very conscious of it now. I suppose especially since 2018 onwards, like that, like the best part of what we're doing now is the memories with the lads, like you know, outside the train and like you know, and the the experience that was the experiences that we've had, like as opposed to what we've won. So and there there are things you'll carry through, would you like? No, like totally hear you on all that, and like as a, again, like as I'm listening to you there, Barry, I feel like, uh, I, I suppose the obvious one is like you have to rebuild your relationship with food, and it sounds like that's still kind of an ongoing and ever develop like an ever developing thing for you, but also in terms of making like a, a breakthrough and starting to kind of move forward and get healthier habits, it also sounds like you had to like rebuild your relationship with yourself as well, like did you? Yeah, I suppose. Look, I I would have. Off the back of everything, I think it's nearly stereotypical in some sense of your personal trainers and fitness people. Um, of that, you know, people would have had a, an experience in their life where they were either overweight and reformed themselves and went into fitness in some capacity. And I would have done my fitness qualifications kind of late 2013 um, with Image Fitness and, you know, would have been massively interested in, in health and wellness. And I suppose it's kind of my own rebuild started from there. Um, and obviously when you started to, to study more and look at the, the body more and obviously understand nutrition more, like you're kind of there going like, oh my God, what were you doing with yourself kind of a thing? Like, hmm. um, but on the flip side of it then, I suppose it gave me, it gave me massive um, eye-opening experiences, number one, but it gave me a great skill set too, in terms of like even being empathetic with people, Alan, like, you know, um, like I still do a little bit of um, fitness work on the side more kind of consultant but like you've I've experienced probably what most people are going through and you're able to talk to them about it like you know with empathy like and people know it's not false like you know um, they know it's real and it's coming from a, a real place like and there's a real story behind it so um, you know I think it, it has obviously helped me in, in other ways in, in life like you know and even the communication element of it like you know you know how, that, like, you know, how important communication is um, especially whether you're at your highest high or your lowest low, like that you know, communication is so, so, so important. Like, so. Yeah, and then like in terms of communication, Barry, like obviously a lot of this stuff starts with yourself, like a self-awareness and you've mentioned there kind of educating yourself and getting access to better understanding information. Like for someone that is listening to this, like that's maybe has experienced something similar or knows someone, like what, what ultimately was like, 
what helps you start kind of starting to move forward there? Like, do you need to go see someone? Do you need to get kind of, is it a diagnosis? Is it a talking with? Like, what's the basic, what are the things or people that kind of help you reframe that and get going down the right direction again? And if it's, if it might be none of those things and it might have been a self thing, but I'm just trying to kind of get a better understanding of how someone might kind of somewhat draw a line or kind of reset, recenter and be able to move forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, I suppose it's your support network in one way or another. Like I, I suppose I have a couple of, of great friends there, um, two in particular, Lee Mulcahy and Seamus Hickey. Like, um, so Seamus sort of travelled to the train together, together a good bit um, and still would remain very close. Like, and I know there are guys that they always say like that um, your closest friends are the ones that hear you the most when you're gone silent. Like, you know, that, that when you go to the ground, they know there's something wrong. So... They know when to, to press the button and see is everything okay. But I suppose I know from just past experiences now as well, um, you know, just to self check and see see where you're at. You know, you know when you're low, you know when you're high. Um, and I suppose for people in terms of the, the eating disorder side of it, like you know when food is starting to over consume you and you're thinking about how am I going to avoid a night out or you know how am I going to avoid things and social settings? Um, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? You know. Um, you know that there's some sort of a red flag starting to pop up. Um, you'd like to think your friends would would spot it, but it's a very hard subject to broach with someone as well. Do you know, it's not something you're going to just openly say to someone, look, have, is there a problem? Um, so I, I kind of think you need the confidence then in yourself to say it to someone, like, look, I, I think I might be in trouble here. Um, and just that initial conversation element with someone, like, it's so powerful. Um, and you know, like any like any addiction, I suppose, just openly admitting that there's a problem, you know, like the sense of the, the, the freeness that it gives, like, you know, um, is massive. And um, once you start that initial conversation, like it, it opens the door to, to further conversations, obviously, and, you know, hopefully in, in time then leads to, to freedom, we'll use the word of freedom. So. From your lived experience, Barry, and what you've gone through, like in terms of like, practical strategies or coping mechanisms or tips that have kind of worked for you or that you would feel comfortable sharing with a group or with people listening to this kind of what what would you say in that regard yeah like you some people found great life at start found great helping journaling and just you know keeping an eye on how your thought process was like you know and at least you know if you're starting to go down a little bit of a spiral you can go back and see look was there a trigger that set that off um but then i suppose that coming back to that support network and that, that trust element and like uh, we had some great um guys involved from the SNC nutrition side with with Dimerick, like between Joe Connor, Mark Lyons, um Owen Murray now at the moment. And like I suppose you have to trust trust people too. Like, you know, as I said, you get a drawn head and you believe that say, say for me carbs are going to make me fat again. Um and then you talk to Owen and Owen presents the data like and it's kind of there going, No, do you know what? Like there's no no relevance there whatsoever. What's, like, what's that like to get those kind of false beliefs that have probably been living in your head for years, Barry? Like, or, you know, or it is years. Like, what's it like to have them challenged and then kind of almost deconstructed by, you know, a respected, renowned, qualified professional in that area of be it nutrition, strength and conditioning? Like, what was that like for you to have that done? It's like popping a balloon, really, Ellen. Like, you know, that's mm. um, like... I would be telling people, oh, you know, don't be silly, don't put carbs on your diet, or don't do it, X, Y, and Z, and you're there going, you're such a hypocrite, like, because you're, that's exactly what you're doing, you know, on the other side of it, like, um, but like, Owen, Owen, Joe, and Mark, like, you know, they had such, um, such a good personality and demeanor about them, like, they're, like, they're able to go, all right, okay, maybe 
the best way to this isn't by being forceful with their beliefs and you know um, the data that they have. It was a more softer approach where look, let's try a little bit and go from there. Um, it's the same with people you know that are suffering something similar, like you just a little bit at a time, like you know it's it's land foundation, then it's it's block by block, brick by brick, like you know it's not trying to to throw the roof in the house straight away without without anything else done, like you know. So, and then. If I was to ask you kind of where could I bounce off this topic, Barry, and again, I thank you for your honesty so far and your patience and your insights. For anyone that is listening, like I'm definitely, I'll throw up like the BodyWise and any other kind of helplines that I know are out there for if someone wants to get in contact directly or get or get like better factual information. Obviously, we're just sharing a lived experience and having a conversation here about what it's like as an individual. So I'll definitely share that information at the end and at the beginning. But I suppose also just to kind of ask you if there was any advice or kind of a final thing you would say to people on this area of of eating disorders and the well-being space, what would you like to kind of share with those who are listening here? Um, I suppose don't suffer alone, you know, and don't suffer in silence. Like, you know, it is it is an extremely hard topic to broach with someone. But, you know, my experience was definitely prolonged by, by just me being stubborn um, mm. and, not, and not wanting to admit either problem, really. Um, and not seeking help, you know, so like you'd be so surprised, like everyone has their own journey, everyone has their own problems, you know, like everyone's story is individual and unique to them. Um, like there is people going through worse situations, you know, and there are people just going through situations in general, you know, so reach out to someone and speak to someone. Um, but like look, speaking about it today with Joellen was more so like, if it helps one person, it's a massive success, like, you know, um, and whether that's if that person ever wanted to send a DM to me or to yourself or anyone, you know, like just to get in contact with someone and talk to someone about it, because it is in our, our sport and society. Um, I've spoken to very high profile uh, people across different codes, um, jockeys, for example, you know, it's rampant in the, the jockey community. Um, it's in the soccer community, it's in the rugby community, you know, it's in the GA community, I'm sure it's in the GA community as well, and um, be both club and inter-county, like, you know, so... Like it's not something that you have to be ashamed about, really. Um, we all have a we all suffer you know, a problem at some stage in our lives, you know. So it's it's very important to to reach out, and I think that stigma across anything mental health related or uh, body related is gone. Um, now in this day and age that we're in, like you know, um, we've seen too we've lost too many people, you know. So it's very important to speak out about it. No, I totally agree, and it's like kind of just as I as I recap in my own head of everything you've shared and that, and like I found it so educational and insightful, even for myself, Barry. You know, of like again, I kind of made the point earlier, but like kind of presumed that an eating disorder is about food, but like it sounds like it's a lot more to do with like emotional distress, and that's just how it manifests itself. And then I suppose using or an eating disorder kind of being a destructive coping mechanism almost of like that kind of you're trying to deal with stress with with triggers with trauma with adversary um so i suppose for someone like when you're going through that it's obviously got to be frightening or difficult to let go because you feel like that's your coping mechanism um and then lastly i think it's important to say just to back up the point you just made there is that like anyone can develop an eating disorder um it's it, it's it's out there like we're talking here but it's not just a GA thing or a sports thing it's a community thing and a person thing um but I suppose the big thing is that people can and do recover from from eating disorders and that does help out there and again I'll I'll, I'll post the GPA helpline for any intercounty players into this and I'll also post the BodyWise number helpline support services on both sides of this so because I think we've had such a good conversation with that and it's just really really important that people know where to turn um 
So thank you for that. Um, yeah, just kind of last couple of minutes, Barry, as as was as we talk, I suppose, just in terms of you mentioned kind of doing personal training, still doing a little bit yourself, and that was kind of part of your own journey. What do you work at now yourself? Kind of what's life like outside of of hurling for you? Uh, life for me is uh, I'm a <laughs> mentally hear this for a title. I'm a wellness product specialist for for Unifar. Um, so. I, I just consider it all things vitamins and minerals, Ellen, really, uh, in the mm-hmm. pharmacy scene for, for Unifar to be one of the, the biggest wholesalers in the world and one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. So uh, we're based out of City West there. So I look after basically all the, the Unifar stores, their vitamins and minerals, the education piece around it. Um, and just, I suppose, all things stores to make sure that the, the section is performing to the level that they, I suppose, expect really. Um, yeah. COVID, COVID accelerated uh, the usage of uh, vitamins and minerals. Obviously, over the last couple of years, so it's it's a it's a booming um, category in in the pharmacy space. So it's just making sure that pharmacies are are equipped both educationally and then obviously have the right product to fit their their consumer. So, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's obviously like something you're you're passionate about yourself. Given that we've just talked about sitting at home late at night ordering some random stuff that's been on an infomercial via a, a protein shake or a, a fat burner or whatever kind of it is that certain industries were selling, but it's just kind of your way of trying to be part of like a solution and to do things better and educate people who are in like, I suppose, yeah, influ like influential people that are kind of dispersing and selling these products. Yeah, like definitely, like it did lead from from I suppose the personal training experience back like I'd obviously a massive nutri- uh, in, interest in nutrition would have ran my own um, supplement shop for a brief period of time in Limerick uh, during 2013 when I was doing the, the fitness course um, so I would have always had an interest in nutrition and supplements especially um, and would have always sat down and researched what the new thing is you know uh, and then on the flip side of that then it's such a massive category and such a like it's a billion dollar industry you know there's there's so so much bad information out there and then there's equally as bad some products out there you know that um people kind of buy into the marketing around it as opposed to the actual physical product itself you know like the product would be pure muck um but it might have a, a high marketing budget behind it and it's just selling really well you know so it's just i suppose educating people on what what to look out for um and then just appreciate and when when you there's a good product there you know that this is a really good product for people to take and it you know, will obviously sell really well in your store as well so no it's like a, it's kind of in some ways it's not surprising that you're kind of have found yourself in that space um and like as you kind of as you've grown up barry and kind of taken it all the way back to like starting off as like a teenager and kind of you know not knowing a lot of things let's just put and we're all it's not just you it's everyone when we're when we're younger and kind of how you've educated yourself growing up and how you've developed yourself both as a person and as a player like i know even just thinking there like you would have served as the gpa rep for the limerick squad for a couple of years too right yeah i'm still there still there <laughs> you are um, seamus was leaving and he handed it over to me and still there so um just trying to get a couple of leads involved and i know as well because look it's yeah. a super service um like, like the GPA obviously have highlighted that um, better players off the field will be better players on the field like you know better people off the field are going to be better players on the field and it's you know, never there was never a sure statement you know and the, the, look, you can see the value that they, they bring and offer to to players like I, I got the opportunity to go back I dropped out of college Alan um, no problem saying that multiple times three if not four times 
and got the opportunity to go back to college through the GPA on a scholarship to the IMI first and got a diploma there and got another opportunity to, to go for my MBA. Um, I'm going to say WIT, but I think it's the Southeast Technical University now is the, the correct that one. That sounds far term. more important, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. so I better, I better use that to keep my, my scholarship there. Like, But, you know, like, like that, like I'm after getting yeah. an opportunity to go back and study an MBA to further enhance my, my career potential um, and my life off the field. That would have cost in the region of what I suppose about 20,000, you know, that mm. the GPA are after, you know, kindly, kindly giving me the opportunity to, to go and do so. Um, like things like that are invaluable, but even the support element they offer, and like you know, and the, the helplines and the, the just the twenty four seven support is there. Like it's it's massive for players. Like you know, it's really yeah. appreciated too. So no, and that's I think that's kind of why I kind of stitched it into the end of the conversation is just that look, we've obviously talked about we've talked about hurl and Barry, we've talked about growing up, the different stages of playing, and in different roles in squads. We spent a huge portion of the conversation talking about well being and eating disorders and. I suppose this whole podcast series is part of the Bio360 program um, where we cover the four key pillars that impact, or I suppose that the GPA work with and support players in. You've just mentioned there, like in terms of your personal development and education. And like, obviously the wellbeing one is so huge. And I just really, I, I can't thank you enough for the story that you've shared today with the clarity and the honesty, because I know there's going to be players listening to it and just and, and people from the general public who are going to relate to it in different ways. And as you said, if it helps someone a improve improve their self awareness of something they're dealing with right now, to see something in a brother or a sister or a son or an auntie or an uncle, whatever it is, um, this conversation will be worth it. And I've just finished up again by saying I'm I'm going to post those um, I'm going to post those helplines. I just want to thank you, and I suppose I just give you an open mic for. If you've had and you want to say to close us out, but I, I just want to say thanks again. No, not at all. Just uh, thank you for having me. Um, I think the, the talking has been done. Um, but no, look, thank you for having me. Let me give me an opportunity to, to share because it, 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 I suppose people relate to real life stories. Uh, so hopefully someone gets something from from the conversation, like you know. So that's all you can you can offer. Instead, if it helps one person, it's a success. Like so. Players Voice Podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. Earlier in the series, we featured interviews with the likes of Dan Morrissey, Vicky Wall and Lee Keegan. You can find those episodes and all my other conversations with leading GA players by searching the Players Voice on whatever podcast platform you prefer. My name is Alan O'Mara and to find out more about my work as a performance and wellbeing coach, please go to www.realtalks.ie. And don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's Bio360 program by visiting bio360.gaelicplayers.com. Thanks for listening.